Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. We're excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become a new sponsor to the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zen for the podcast. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Archaeology Show with a special recording of the live show you call this Archaeology with Richie Cruz. Let's dig a little deeper. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, this is a recording of You Call This Archaeology, the haphazard live show from the Archaeology Podcast yeah. Network. Hopefully. And, uh, yeah, hopefully in the wintertime, maybe we'll have a little more steady schedule. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, those of you listening on the podcast, if you want to follow this on YouTube or Facebook, then check out Happy Archaeology Fun Time on YouTube and check out um, the Archaeology Podcast Network at ArcPodNet yeah. over at Facebook.com forward slash ArcPodNet, and then you'll get a... Uh, notification every time we go live and then you can join in to the conversation so listen i want to get something fun out of the way real quick yeah uh because richie um oh (laughs) our mics are totally off oh really can you hear me now (laughs) no so we've been we've been recording i'm gonna get rid of this in the audio recording but i forgot to turn the mics on to obs (laughs) oh let me double check that yeah how's it going chuck Thanks for that. Appreciate it. And how's oh, it going, he told Ryan? Us, he told us that. Yeah, Chuck told us that. <laughs> oh, Otherwise, good. we would have been mute for the entire thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this is why we don't do this for a living, actually. So um, anyway, I'm going to start the show uh, with a a te- tech-ish gadget, I guess. It's not really a tech gadget, but I think it's it not? kind of is. Uh, and this is this is something that you know, my wife, she has some friends that have one of these, and yeah. I'm not really much of a user of these in, in particular, but I really do appreciate something that is reusable, yeah. something that is fun, because I've seen these online before, and I looked around until I found one that I really liked that I could consider, you know, something that was a little more techy. Yeah, um, you probably hold it up the camera. <laughs> I, I, I will, but I wanted it to be um, Bluetooth enabled, but I couldn't find one. But Richie, every time we go to the to get coffee, yeah, whether you get a hot or iced coffee, you put a straw in your cup. Of course. Now, you know for a fact that straws are becoming uh, less environmentally friendly every day. And, and some states are, are eliminating straws entirely. Yeah, like California. Well, this is a company called The Final Straw. Oh. And if I... Oh, I put it in upside down last time, so I can't do the fun <laughs> reveal. But let me I'm yeah. switch it because I'm an idiot and I put it in upside down. Yeah. But it's basically... They they come in different types, right? Um, Wait, they're Bluetooth enabled straws? They're not. I couldn't oh. find one. <laughs> but if I just go like this and I pull it out by the end here, cool. I've got a straw. It's basically acts like a tent post. Yeah. Uh, which means that the silicone, uh, food grade silicone, is on the inside, and it's like that. Oh. So it's telescoping, right? Um, and the cool thing is too, it comes with a little um, cleaning brush. Yeah. Right here. So oh, I just bought some, you know, in California on the yeah. project I was on. Yeah, so 
It's pretty neat. Um, I've used it a few times. We just got them last week. Neat. And, uh, you only got the one? No, my wife got one too. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, so hers is um, like rainbow colored with a light blue case. I went all black, all black, because yeah. I didn't want to see that it was dirty. No, that's not true. Um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so uh, I went that route. Uh, I'm going to take my headphones off now, actually. Yeah. I don't need them anymore. Why not? Hang on. Let's see. So... Anyway, hopefully Chuck will let us know if we go um, mute again. <laughs> so I'm not listening. But anyway, I, I thought that was pretty cool. It, it, this I just put this in my backpack because I always have my backpack with me. I don't really carry yeah. it around in my pocket because I don't use straws that much anyway. But like my wife and I are going to get some dinner tonight, and uh, I'll probably have a soda or water or something like that. Yeah. And I'll be like, no thanks, keep the straw. Because to be honest, I do like a straw in a restaurant situation because... Sometimes I just get no ice in my drink, whether it's yeah. water or soda, uh, partly because they never fill them fast enough, but also yeah. be- and they fill the whole thing up with ice. Yeah. But also, if they do put a little ice in it, I don't really like it when it like touches my mouth. Yeah. I-, I like to just, I like a straw to go through it, right? Yeah. You know, kind of break it up. So rather than using straws and throwing them away, uh, may as well get that. And they said that the cleaning is super easy. If you're drinking like sugary drinks like soda and stuff like that, I mean, I drink like diet soda, but they're still, you know... Not not good for the straw. Oh, I switched to fizzy water personally. Oh well, if you're drinking anything that's not water, typically yeah. all you have to do at the end of the meal is either run into the bathroom, rinse it out, or just suck some water through it, and then yeah. throw it back in the case. And then every week or so, run the brush through the inside, you know, and clean it up nice. Oh, so it's just like the um, Camelback sort of. Yeah, um, basically, you don't have to clean those every day. Yeah. But typically with Camelbacks, we only run water through them anyway. Yeah. You know, sometimes I'll put one of those um, tablets in. Uh, that'll make the water taste different if you're in a hotel or you can't find good water. Although, they now make them so that they're um, wine and um, beer proof. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. many years ago, I remember running into a few field techs who would bring their um, work their work camelbacks on oh, like various to, like, festivals or music thingies. Now, wait a minute. What do you mean by wine and beer proof? What does that even mean? You know, you can put your um, wine and beer into the camelback. Oh. And, like, pretend that, you know, pretend that you have water in there because, you know, they, they're not necessarily, at least back then, they well, weren't going to stop you from bringing water. Sure. They might be concealed a little better, but they're not necessarily proof. Wine is one thing. Beer's a, another thing entirely because yeah. if you put something carbonated yeah. in your camelback, it will explode. Oh, will it? Yes. Yeah. The, the end will blow completely off. I've uh. seen people do it. I was one of the first <laughs> users of a camelback because when camelback first came out, yeah. uh, it was in the late 90s. And when Ooh. I was on my cruise in the Navy on the Enterprise in the yeah. Um, Mediterranean, yeah. none of us had ever even heard of camelbacks before. Like the actual camelback brand was one of the first to come out with it. Yeah. None of us had ever heard of them before. And the Navy issued us the, what was the smaller one, like the 70 ounce or something like that? Yeah, I've got one in my one? running pack. Yeah, just a low profile because we had to wear it under what's called a float coat, which is basically, yeah. Um, when you're on the flight deck, you always wear this float coat, which is basically like a vest that yeah. buttons up in the front yeah. because it's water activated um, life preserver. Oh, and it's got a bunch of other stuff attached to it as well, like a strobe to attach to your helmet and stuff like that. So the Ooh. Camelback had to be able to go under that, not over it. So yeah. it had to be low profile. But guys would. I saw a guy put milk in his one time. <laughs> this kid was not smart. He put milk in his. He got sick. Um, and people like to put, because you can go down to the galley 24 hours a day and get milk, water, and soda. Oh. All the time. And so he, somebody put soda in there. To be honest, I was about to try the same thing. <laughs> but then I saw this guy do it, and the end blew off his camel back on the flight deck. Neat. Sprayed soda all over the place. Yeah. Ooh. So anyway, unless it's <laughs> vented somehow, uh, that yeah. pressure is going to build up. It's like thinking about shaking a can of soda or a can of beer. You know, That's it's, true. you're doing the same thing when you're walking around. 
Yeah. So, I mean, if you're like chilling at a festival and you're not moving anywhere, you could probably get away with it. See? But if you're going to be walking around and doing anything, you're going to you're gonna shake it up. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's yeah. true. Yeah. Oh, man. Speaking of camelbacks, you know, I finally got the, I mean, uh, this probably doesn't matter too much since, you know, they can't see my bicycle, <laughs> but I did get that basket put on my bike. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's, it's surprisingly handy, you know. My God, I've been trying every kind of solution I can think of. I even mm-hmm. got like a little folding backpack to um, bring along with me. Nice. But, you know, it's like, oh, my God, I hate backpacks and I'm yeah, riding yeah. a bike. Anyway. <laughs> well, you know, that's um, that's cool because one of the things... Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about, which isn't very good for archaeology, but I've been really, 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 and I, I've talked about this before on various shows, but I've been yeah. really trying to reduce what I own. Yeah. Um, oh. I, I was thinking about this the other day. We, My wife had on last night some British design show. Um, <laughs> I was doing some work. I was posting a podcast, I think, actually. Yeah. Uh, actually, I was posting an episode of her podcast, Historical yeah. Yarns. Episode oh, yeah. five came out today. It was about the, what was it, Andean yarn or something, some super fine wool? Well, they're all, this whole season's about lace. Oh, so it's different lace knitting techniques from around the around the world. But it was something that started um, with an O. I have no idea. Oh, yeah, you're right. Or, or it's from Russia. <laughs> wow, I yeah. don't even remember it. I just did it last night. <laughs> anyway, Orenburg. Yeah, I think it was Orenburg. Anyway, that's Russian lace knitting. Anyway, if you want to know more about it, arcpodnet.com forward slash historical yarns. And there's a pattern that she designed that goes along with it that you can download from her Ravelry site. That it's linked in the show notes. Neat. Yeah, so you can knit right along because they, they use the first half of the episode to talk about the history. So if yeah. you're only interested in the history, yeah. you can listen to the first 12 to 15 minutes, sometimes yeah. 20. And then there's a break. And then the last half is talking about another stage of the pattern and some issues yeah. of the pattern. So if you're not interested in that, you can just skip right by it. you know. But if you are, then listen. Anyway, yeah. point is... I've been trying to reduce, and she had this design show on, and I took a look. I, I watched like the first part of one of the episodes when I didn't have my headphones in yet. Yeah. And basically, now this was over in England, but yeah. these were the these were model homes. I don't say model; they were like uh, tract homes, kind of thing. They were they were oh, that's right, they were model homes, but they were they they'd thrown the furniture inside, but it was all stacked up in the different rooms. So whoever designed the homes said. We're going to put the furniture in there, and then when you buy the house, you get all the furniture and everything that goes with it. Oh. But I think it's because it was a model home. Like, I don't think they were really designed. Like, they were selling the rest of the houses based on these. Yeah. Because I don't think every house came with furniture. But it just got me thinking. Like, man, I would love, love, love <laughs> if we lived in a world where when I bought a house, yeah. I got all new furniture to go with it. You know what I mean? Like it would Maybe. be like we lived in a world where it was up to the the like right now if you buy a house if I if yeah. I go buy a used house, uh, not a brand new house. Yeah, but didn't you already do that? I did. So <laughs> well, let's use me as the example then. Yeah. So I bought a townhouse ten yeah. months ago, and before we moved in, um, before we bought it, we had an inspection done. Yeah. And the inspector found that there was a, a leaky valve on a toilet. There was a um, you know a couple other things. Well, these were all listed out, and the homeowner had to either fix them or reduce the price. Oh, what'd they do? She fixed them. Oh. She's kind of a handy person. Oh. So she went through and fixed everything, although I went back and fixed a few more things like a couple <laughs> months later because she kind of patched fixed it. Oh. Didn't really fix it. But anyway, <laughs> point is, that's expected. It's expected that structural issues and mechanical issues will be fixed prior to you getting the home, or they're going to reduce the price. That's why you get an inspection. Yeah. Now, let's say furniture is included. Yeah. And they say the inspection includes the furniture, and they say, well, you know, the couch has got a big tear in it, or the, um, you know, something's bad. But most of the time, people's furniture is probably half decent, right? Yeah. Well, most of the time. Yeah. And if it's not, 
I mean, to be honest, it's probably a rental, but we're talking about purchasing here. So if you purchase the home, maybe the purchase price includes the furniture. And if the furniture needs replacing, then the purchase price comes down. This wouldn't change anything from what we do now. Instead of us paying two sixty one for our townhome, we'd have paid two seventy five or two eighty, and it includes the furniture. Because I'll tell you what. I don't want to move it. And I'm not tied to any piece of furniture that I have enough that I care. Now, there's a lot of people that do have like antique furniture and things like that. They want to move that around, but I don't have those sort of mental associations with things. I don't have any antique anything that I want. Oh, well, but you also forget that people are very variable in taste. So what one person considers stylish, another person might consider you right. know, terrible. But that goes along with the house. True. You know, you, you should have furniture that maybe matches the house. And if you're looking for a house... If I'm looking for a house, I have taste in my house, too. Yeah. I'm not just going to get any house. We looked at probably 30 houses, and I yeah. didn't pick any of them. Yeah. That's taste, right? Yeah. That's my own taste and style. Yeah. But it goes right along with the furniture. If I find a house I like, but I don't like the furniture, I keep looking. You yeah. know? And uh, by the way, Errol Charles joined. I think he's down in the Caribbean. And oh, then uh, Silver <laughs> Silver joined. Oh, cool. Yeah, what's up? How's it going, Silver? Um, well, so anyway- what? You know what I'd do if I was that person who was selling you the house with the furniture in it? Hmm. I'd sell the fur- nice furniture on eBay or Craigslist and then go to Ikea and buy whatever I could that would fit in, that would like be college dorm grade. You know what? <laughs> That's fine. Ikea furniture is great for a few years, right? We have Ikea furniture in our house right now. Same here. Buy it. Uh, I'm not gonna. Li- I'm not gonna die in that house. And if I am, I'm gonna buy my own furniture anyway because I'm not selling it, right? <laughs> so the fact that I know that I'm only gonna live in the house for two to five years, yeah, I don't care what you put in there as long mm-hmm. as it's functional and not broken and gross. You know, so you <laughs> although know, you know, there's gonna be someone who's gonna do that too. Well, that's true. But my point is, <laughs> with all this, yeah, this this thing it got me thinking, and it just yeah. makes me want to get rid of even more of my crap. Like, I've got rid of so many. Um, so many books when we moved a couple a couple moves ago. Yeah, and I got rid of even more books when we moved this last time. But still, I've got two full bookshelves worth of books sitting in our kitchen. And I was mm. looking at those books the other day, going, "My God, I I mean, I kept some of this under the guise of reference material for yeah. archaeology. Literally, never opened a single one of them. Really? Yeah. And I've got a whole entire, probably five shelves of first editions and antique books that I've collected over the years. Wow. And I, I used to have the, I used to have kind of the idea that. I just wanted first edition books and I kind of gravitate towards like science and stuff like that. Like I've got really? some old arithmetic readers. I've got some Darwin. Ah. Um, they're not first edition, but they're late 1800s. Yeah. Um, and I've got a bunch of, uh, I got a bunch of stuff like that, but it made me think I don't want any of that stuff anymore. I'd rather somebody else had it. Oh, eBay. I know. I know how to get rid of it. My point is I want to get rid of it. And like, for example, I've got um, our closet situation is garbage in that house. I mean, my wife just has too much stuff. That's what the problem is. But anyway, uh, I have uh, about a third uh, or less of our main closet in our main bedroom. And then we've got another set of closets in the other bedroom that's mostly storage for her like crafting stuff. But I've also got a section there of clothes I don't wear very often. Yeah. Like, you know, dress shirts and stuff like that. And and some field clothes and other things. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to get rid of all this. You know, the amount of times that I need to wear like a fancy shirt, I just go buy a new one and then I'll donate it. You know, like I've got shirts in there that I bought for one thing. I don't have a lot. I have maybe 10, but I've got yeah. shirts in there that I bought for like one thing and then literally never wore again. Wait, really? Yeah. It's stupid. 
Wow. You know, it's actually stupid. And Jordan Jacobs joined. Um, Jordan wrote a great series of books, kind of kind of young adult focused, and um, an archaeology. They're, they're awesome. Yeah. They're the, Wait, really. The, well, yeah. The so the. The lead character is a young woman who's, um, I think, in the very first book, like her uncle's an archaeologist or something like that. Yeah. And she's out on this dig, and the you know hijinks ensue. Yeah. Um, and then there's like, I think there was three that he did. I read all, of, I read all the ones he had up to a couple of years ago, and I think he was working on another one. Yeah. Um, and we interviewed him on the archaeology show, actually. Yeah. Um, and I have those, I have those books actually, because my wife still intends to read them, but hasn't yet. <laughs> Sorry, Jordan. And. Uh, <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, they're, they're really fun, really fun reads and he's, he's, uh, historically trained and it's just, um, I honestly, Jordan, I can't remember where we work. I think it's at the museum in Berkeley, but I can't remember. Oh wait, really? Which one? Yeah. Um, I can't remember. Um, but anyway, uh, if he's, if he's listening, maybe he'll tell us, but, um, the, uh, yeah, we'll link to all that in the show notes. Yeah. So in the show notes for the archeology span show, which is going to be at arcpodnet.com forward slash archeology span forward slash 75. If you want to see those, then uh, yeah. head on over there. I'll link to Jordan's books and then the um, the episode that we did with him. Yeah. So, anyway, point is, I want to get rid of all my stuff, and I don't want to own anything, and that's really? all leading towards the fact that I want to own a 50-foot motor yacht because I want to live on it, yeah. and that basically comes with all its own furniture, Yeah. And uh, and I don't want to have a lot of stuff to bring on there, and I want to be completely digital with everything I have. But where this comes around to archaeology in this long roundabout conversation is- yeah. You know, we're we're eliminating our material culture, and we're um, are we really? We, well, some people are. You're right. Some people aren't. Some people yeah. are increasing their material culture. But I'm yeah. trying to reduce my material culture that I own, which is going to reduce my archaeological footprint. You know, my digital archaeology footprint, however, is increasing, and that's something we don't really have a good way to record and document yet. Yeah, but Native Americans had the most minimal footprint, and yet we still find all their stuff everywhere. <laughs> well, that's because they used stuff that was, um, you know, endurable, endurant, enduring. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of the word. They used stuff that, that we can, but here, here's the thing, though. There, yeah. There's a lot of things that they had that we can't, we'll never find again. How many, how many baskets and sandals and stuff like that do we find in Nevada? Not very many. Only no. the ones that are in caves where it's a, it's a, a slightly more damp environment, you know, yeah. so they... They can last longer, but... Well, I was going to say, and like a lot of looters, like collections, but you know. Well, that's, yeah. <laughs> but here's the other thing, too. You say that Native Americans live a minimalist lifestyle, but we still find their stuff. Yeah. But how many things did they use, and how many things did they... How many things did they create, maybe from an artistic standpoint, a functional standpoint, what have you, that we simply don't have, and we can only guess about, like clothing? Most yeah. of their clothing's gone. Most of the, I mean, we know they weren't running around naked with projectile points in their hands, but yet projectile points are the only <laughs> things we find. Well, I guess that's true. You know, so the, were they running around naked? Probably not. Well, it depends on, you know, your point of view and what you consider to be clothes, because obviously the European settlers thought they were naked, practically. Well, sure. And and the, the common view of a, of a Native American in any sort of historical documentation is wearing some sort of, you know, grass shorts-like thing and no <laughs> shirt. But the reality is... Native Americans lived here in Nevada, and it was 12 degrees last night. Yeah. Oh, wait, was it? <laughs> well, at least a couple nights ago it was. Yeah. And th- they lived here yeah. during those kinds of temperatures, during yeah. snowstorms, during rain, during the summer. Yeah. They had the clothing to survive that. 
Yeah. You know, there were big animals. They could get the hides off of them, and they had the clothing and the technology yeah. to survive that kind of thing. Yet none of that survives the archaeological record. We can only infer that they used animal skins and things like that because we have ethnohistoric documentation with people yeah. coming in in the 1800s and the 1700s observing these people and writing down what they saw. And we <laughs> could only assume that what was true 200 years ago was true 5,000 years ago. Yeah, true. You know? Hey, let's take a quick break just for the Archaeology Podcast Network, um, the Archaeology Show, so I can have an ad cut right here. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come right back. Chris Webster here for the Archaeology Podcast Network. We strive for high quality interviews and content so you can find information on any topic in archaeology from around the world. One way we do that is by recording interviews with our hosts and guests located in many parts of the world all at once. We do that through the use of Zencaster. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R. Zencaster allows us to record high quality audio with no stress on the guest. Just send them a link to click on and that's it. Zencaster does the rest. They even do automatic transcriptions. Check out the link in the show notes for 30 percent off your first three months or go to zencastr.com and use the code TAS. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Oh. Welcome, welcome back to the Archaeology Show if you're listening to the audio version of this. Something just popped into my mind, and I'm not sure if you looked at it yet, but have you heard about the brand new, oh God, what was it? The DJI Mavic, the little one. Yes. Was it they call it the mini? I don't even know. It's like it's, it's literally one. Gr- it's one gram underneath the um, FAA requirements for you to get you know to like file a flight plan or anything. It's officially considered a toy. Oh no, it's way smaller than that. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Inspire that I've got is huge, and you don't have to have an FAA anything yeah. for that. It's it's under. Um, it's like one gram under some FAA requirement. Yeah, I'm trying to remember what the weight limitation is. Um, Anyway, most of the drones are. Yeah. Most of the, it's not one gram under. It's way more than one gram under. I don't know where you heard that, but there's. It might be under where you have to register with the FAA. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah, that brings it back back into the hobbyist category. Yeah. But that doesn't matter if you are flying your drone for commercial purposes and you have a Part 107 license. You have to register that with the FAA. I don't care if it's the size of a thumbnail. Oh, really? Yes. By That's the way, the legal requirement for commercial drone use. Have you seen like you know photos of it next to like people's like phones? <laughs> Oh, it's ridiculously small. Yeah. 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 I want one. Yeah, it's it's crazy small. <laughs> so have you seen the price? I haven't seen a price on it yet. Um, was it it's either two ninety nine or three ninety nine. Oh, I'm gonna have to go pick one of those up. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Because, you know, because yeah. obviously I've been looking at all these like cheap drones, like, you know, like they're you know, made by like the OEM manufacturers for like DJI and a few others, but they just sell them under their own names or they sell them, you know, for other companies to brand. Right, but they've still got like all most of the major components inside. But then, of course, there's no support, and the apps are usually the apps are like the generic apps you get, like on um, are like the generic, super generic apps that like you know DJI then customizes to like make their own. Well, yeah, I mean you're right. What what I want to know about the Mavic though is something that was just in my head and I couldn't get it out while you were yeah. saying that was uh, how is this different from the Spark? Oh, actually, I don't know. I know that supposedly has a higher quality camera, although people are super angry that it doesn't that it doesn't do raw photography. And I'm like, who takes like who, who takes uses raw? Come on. Well, who t- more importantly, they're talking not talking about like raw like raw, you know, 
um, like a raw movie format. They're talking about raw photography formats. And I'm like, who takes still photos with their drone? <laughs> I mean, a lot of people do. That's that's actually a real thing. A lot of people do. Yeah, but do you really need um, raw? Yeah, that's the other question. That is the other question. Do you actually need raw? I don't see it on... Uh, I don't know what it's called. I don't see it on Amazon here. Ooh. It, maybe it's not out on Amazon Oh, that's yet. because I typed in DPI and it's not showing me everything because I'm an idiot. Oh, Mavic Mini. Mavic Mini. Haha. <laughs> it's like the second thing that comes up. Three ninety nine from Best Buy. Mavic Mini. So they don't have it on Amazon store yet, on the DJI's Amazon store. Mm. Oh, wait. Yeah, they do. Sky Blue. Oh, it still says DJI Spark, so that's not the Mavic Mini. Ooh. Well, um, Best Buy has it, according to this. Three ninety nine. Yeah. What kind of camera? Oh, I think it, they said 2.7K. I'm just going off my memory because I'm not looking at the actual things yet. <laughs> uh-huh. DJI. There we go. Mavic Mini. Let's see. 8.82 ounces. Two points. Yeah, 2.7K quad HD. So basically 4K. And it's got three-axis motorized, motorized gimbal, which actually does make it different than the Spark because I don't think the Spark had a three-axis gimbal. I might be wrong. <laughs> Man, I might have to pick one of these up tonight. And supposedly a four-kilometer distance. I mean, think about that. You can throw that in your pack. You can, like, give that. That's, like, cheap enough. You can give it to, like, a crew. <laughs> yeah, because this folds up super small, yeah. just like the uh, the Mavic line does to begin with. Yeah. Um, this is an, a phenomenal device here. This might be a, a DigTech purchase, so we can test it. Ooh. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. I'd like to do a video series then. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Ooh. Wow, that's really cool. Totally yeah. hijacked the uh, conversation <laughs> here, but this is almost more towards the Archaeotech podcast here, but ultralight construction weighing under 8.82 ounces. Yeah. Um, that's, I was heavier than that when I was born. Um, What's that? That's like, um, that's like a little over <laughs> oh, wait, half a pound. I was eight pounds. <laughs> that's right. Everybody was, <laughs> nobody was that way when they were born. <laughs> no. um, Unless you're a kitten. That, well, you know. Dedicated remote controller, yeah. uh, real-time first-person view of your flight, which I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> um Oh, and unlike the Spark, it's got the um, it's got the downward, it's got still got the downward facing camera, so it still knows where it is. I wonder if they have this at our Best Buy here. Oh, well, I don't know. It says pre, it says pre order. Oh, they're not available yet. Not yet. They literally just announced this like a couple of days ago. No, but they're not Apple. And more importantly, they're already negative reviews <laughs> on a product that's not out. Oh, Monday eleventh. Oh, that's November not bad. Eleventth, Veterans not... Day. Oh. I'll buy myself a Veterans Day present. So. Uh, yeah. So what else? Uh, we want to keep talking about drones. What else do we got? Ooh. Let me, Actually, go back to the, let me go back to the Facebook here and see if I mean, I'm still, commenting. I'm like still thinking about doing a video series on that. Like I'm still like, you know, people might be thinking that I'm you know, like Chris thought I discontinued, like I'm not shooting any video, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also editing it. It's just, you know, it's just, I've got all these ideas and I want to get them all out. So here's the thing, Richie. Yeah. You've got You've got a common problem that people have, which is, yeah, you know, you, you have a standard you set for yourself, yeah, and you have a, a certain ideal. I, I see this in podcasting all the time when people are learning yeah. how to do a new podcast. Yeah, they they just spend too much time prepping and they don't just get it out. Oh well, the know? thing is, I've been recording. I just haven't had the um, taken time to edit yet. I understand, yeah. but you need to change something about your workflows or record shorter videos so oh, you can it. look at more content but you need to get them out that's my point I know. something is broken in the system yeah. where you're not getting them out here's an example um, i joined a, i'm part of a group on facebook called the 
podcasters support group or podcasters <laughs> editor club or something like that. The support group it makes it sound like you know well, AA. I think there is one called that. Um, <laughs> anyway, I'm part of this club and it's it's run by the guy who um, yeah uh, maybe it's, it's a podcasters lounge. That's what oh. he calls it. And it was the guy Chris Curran that I took the um, yeah podcast engineering course from a few years ago and. Uh, he started a thing because he'd seen this before from somebody else, but it's basically a challenge to release. There's there's five Fridays in November because of the way the month is structured because oh. we started on a Friday. Yeah. And he said, um, everybody who joins this challenge, and we had to ch- join by yesterday to say we were going to do it, yeah. um, will produce a video about their podcasting services that they do uh, every Friday yeah. in November. And it can be... A lot of editing or minimal editing could be 30 seconds or 30 minutes. Yeah. It doesn't honestly matter, whatever you have the time for. But you're committing to release an ep- a video for something every day. So I released oh, one day. that I did. No, every Friday. Sorry. Oh. So I released one. Uh, if you want to see it, it's over at propodcastnow.com, and it's at the top of the page because I needed yeah. an intro video. I need a video that says, here's what this page is all about. Here's what my workshop is about. Yeah. You know, go check this out. It's a little over a minute long, and uh, it's- um, Oh, there it is. Yeah, and it's it's right at the top of the page. That was my video I released today. I recorded that I think yesterday morning oh. in my office. So, uh, and I did it with my DJI Osmo Mobile sitting on a 3D printed stand that I had with my iPhone 10, recording into my Shure SM58 <laughs> sitting behind me, um, recording. But I'm I'm looking at a new system. Uh, I've got an attachment for that DJI Osmo Mobile yeah. for my Zoom H6, and I think I might be able to get the um, shotgun mic attachment for my H6 and plop it onto the side there. And then plug that into my phone. Either record separate audio onto the H6, yeah. or record replace the audio on my phone as I'm recording the video. I'm not really oh. sure. Well, I mean, Rode has like a little, like you know, has this. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of something I wouldn't have to buy because oh. I already have it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's all about reducing. I don't want more stuff. I just want to see if, if if what I have will work, or if I can just get the shotgun attachment for mine. If I'm going to pay a hundred bucks for one anyway, or whatever yeah. it costs, I may as well get it for something I already have. Yeah. You know, because that also records. Yeah. The road mic I get, I'd have to plug into something else anyway. So. Well, not if you're plugging into your phone. Well, no, but if I have, if I'm able to plug the H6 into my phone, I can plug the H6 into anything I want. Yeah. And uh, if I had the uh, shotgun mic attachment for it which I'm not even sure if that's the right mic I need, but if I had the shotgun right mic attachment for it, I'd be able to use that for other applications. Yeah. Yeah. So. See, that's the kind of thinking I'm talking about. Back to segment one was, man, we just think about, and I'm I'm guilty of this too. I'm thinking like, I need something like this. And I don't think about what I already have, what works with what I already have. And I'm just like, let me just go buy the new thing. You know, True. and just go get it. Like for the first year and a couple of years, I decided not to get the new iPhone. I didn't last year either. So for the first time, I think since I started getting iPhones t- almost 10 years ago, yeah, uh, I'm going to go like three years on a phone. Well, the thing is, I mean, they haven't released like, you know. A mind-blowing update? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about Samsung and that folding phone. Sure. Yeah. You know. Well, that's what I want. I, I want to wait until I can get a folding phone. Yeah. I mean, you know, not yeah. only that, but Microsoft, like in their, um, I'm not sure if it's like an actual functioning product or not, but they're they're adding like a folding phone yeah, to their but surface. it's not real. Did you see it? It's just like two tablets glued to, you know, stick together with a hinge. Yeah. It doesn't have a curved screen. Yeah. We've been doing that for 10 years. Well, that's true. Other people have come out with it. Microsoft needs to step up. <laughs> Samsung stepped up. They put themselves out there. It kind of failed a little bit because it at, had some at problems. The at the beginning. But now you don't see any complaints about it. It's still out there. 
Although, you know, it's really interesting what I'd like to see Apple doing now that, you know, since you have like um, the touch touch bar equipped, you know, um, was it iMac Pro? Yeah. Well, um, right Asus has like, you know, made it like about that big. I mean, obviously you can't see that on the <laughs> podcast, but basically they released like their dual screen, um, yeah. you know, their dual screen laptop where basically they basically made a giant touch bar on the top and it's actually like a responsive screen. So you can basically have a dual screen laptop without actually needing to haul around two screens. Well, thinking back to the, the thinking forward to the future archaeological record that we're creating right now. Yeah. I was talking to somebody in my Civil Air Patrol squadron last night, yeah. and I was mentioning uh, somebody had a brand new 2019 MacBook Pro sitting yeah. there, and then the guy he was sitting next to had like a, a 2012 or 2013 MacBook Pro, right? Yeah. And he was saying, uh, you know, I want to get a, I should get a new one of these, but it's probably just going to, I should probably just get an iPad because Apple's going to come out with something and it's just, they're just going to get rid of the computers. It's going to be all iPads. Uh, and I said, you know what? You're probably not wrong. Uh, as those get more powerful and they start writing all the desktop software for the mobile software and the, yeah. and the operating systems converge, like Windows has already done that. Yeah. Windows 10 Yay. is on the Surface. Yeah. And that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, Surface is an amazing device. Yeah. I wish it wasn't Windows because it's garbage. But the Surface is an amazing piece of hardware. <laughs> I love the Microsoft Surface. If I didn't have to use Windows 10, I would 100% have... I have one of those now. Yeah. But it's it's a little older and I don't really use it. My wife uses it for work now. Yeah. She uses it almost every day. Yeah. But um, I wouldn't use it because most of the things I need to do are already Mac programs. So I'm just... I'm in that yeah. ecosystem, right? Anyway, point is... I was I was I was thinking about it and thinking way into the future and I know there's been a few out there like this before but people have made um, computers that work with their phones I think Asus or somebody did it yeah or, or where you basically plug the phone in and the phone becomes like your trackpad but it's yeah. also driving your computer yeah we weren't really ready for that Not but yet. I think we're going to be soon where the phone is the processing driver the memory capacity and if you are the type of person that can do everything on your phone with your fingers or a <laughs> stylus. Then great, yeah. And and because this one guy that was there, he's eighty five years old, very tech savvy for an eighty five year old man. Yeah. But he was Ooh. like, he was like, that's too small of a screen for me. I mean, the fact is, your eyes just get worse, your fingers get less, you know, dex dextrous. Excuse me, dexterous as you yeah, get older. But you can always make the text bigger. His mind is still there, right? So yeah. he can understand all this stuff and still use it. But he's like, it's too small for me to really manipulate. He uses yeah. his iPhone just fine, but doing a hundred percent of your work <laughs> on there is is a challenge. Now I said. I was like, listen, you know, right now you can actually, you can airplay your iPhone screen to a yeah. bigger screen. Yeah. You can do that wirelessly. Yeah. You can hook up a Bluetooth keyboard to your iPhone and oh, then you can true. type like that. And I'd be willing to bet there's probably some sort of mouse option you can get if you really needed it. And, uh, it depends. Like I know people have actually tried using a mouse option, but I don't think the, um, I don't think the contextual menus work. Quite yeah, I don't properly. think they do either. Yeah. yeah, you're just gonna have to use the touchscreen. Yeah, but uh, either way, the point is, as we get better with this technology, we're gonna reduce the number of things that most people have, and it's going to have a serious impact on the archaeological record. Because, I mean, even Apple, you know, as we move forward in future, we're starting to more responsibly destroy these things as well. Oh, oh you know, if you if you turn your phone into Apple and you give it to them on some sort of exchange program and you get a yeah. new one. They take it apart and recycle almost all of it. Yeah. So, and what they don't recycle, they completely disassemble. So, even if we did find a component in a broken down factory somewhere, yeah. you know, a thousand years from now, how can we even tell what it was for or what it was used with? You know what I mean? Like, what would it be? That's interesting that we're reducing footprints in one area, but we're expanding it in another. Like what? Um, like, uh, 
I don't know. I mean, you're like an Amazon Prime member, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently Amazon is now offering, is like trying to induce people to use its uh, grocery service by including it in um, their Prime membership so that, you know, you get free um, delivery. And I, I would think, 100% do that. Yeah. I don't ever want to go to the grocery store. Yeah. And, you know, now you can, now they've, they're building what they call mini fulfillment centers that uh, in addition to like their Whole Foods. So like yeah. certain things you, they get from Whole Foods and certain things they get from their mini, um, their mini centers. Yeah. And they deliver it to you. Why? Why? How is that increasing your footprint? Because if I don't have to drive to the store, and one person can pick up orders for twenty people and bring them out, that's way more efficient. That's true. It's way less fuel. It's it's less people on the roads. It's less chance for car accidents. It's fewer people that need a vehicle. My wife and I have been running one vehicle for two years now. Yeah. And she wow. Got, has it been that short? Yeah. She got well. Maybe it's longer. I yeah. don't know. You're right. It might be three years. But yeah. anyway. Um, she uh, well, I know we sold it when we lived in the condo. So oh, that we only lived there for two years, and we're coming up on two. We're coming up on a year since we moved out of there. So yeah. anyway, point is, uh, you know, she gets worried about me. Like when when I'm leaving for to come to the office here uh, two days ago, when it was literally legit like 19 degrees out in the morning, and I'm like, but I've got gloves, a jacket, a face mask. I've got yeah. ear things. I've got my helmet. I'm not cold. Yeah, I'm fine. And yeah. I'm on my e-bike. It takes me four <laughs> minutes to get to the office. So if you plan accordingly, yeah, you're fine. You know? Oh wait, have we ever? Well, I'm not sure if we've ever talked about the hate that e-bikes get. Let's not talk about that right now. <laughs> I want to finish the conversation about your footprint because I really think that yeah. having things delivered to you because uh, well, that also is just better. That that second part also occurred to me, but then you know. It's like when people talk about Uber and how it's like increased traffic in like Manhattan and stuff. And I'm like, you know. How the hell has Uber increased traffic? Few people even have cars in Manhattan. And the ones that do are making money from them now. See? So, I mean, how does that, uh, if anything, that would make make it even more of a reason for somebody not to get a car in Manhattan because they have so many more transportation options. True. And yet this is like the arguments people make that I've seen in the comments. Yeah, but is it data-based or is it just arguments? Oh, it's just like arguments, just like, yeah, you know. Well, I'm not concerned with just arguments. I know. Well, I mean, just like, you know, just like some of those archaeology groups I read. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, oh my God, that is one of the things I wanted to bring up. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how much time we're going to have. Yeah. But that, um, who was it? Um, I, I don't know if he wants his name brought out, but the person who's releasing the, um, like the segments of his book, he, you know, just putting them on his blog instead. Oh, we can talk about it. It's Chris Cameron. Yeah. He's putting them out publicly. They're yeah. on medium.com, for Christ's sake. Well, I guess that's true. I don't yeah. know. And he didn't say they're segments of a book. He said uh, it's easier than writing a book. Ah. Yeah. It just put, instead of writing a book, he's releasing blog posts. I'll be the first to tell you right now, uh, taking articles and blog posts and turning them into a book is not as simple as just putting them all together and producing a book. When I did that with my blog, yeah. I had to write a lot of extra stuff because the chapters in a lot of cases just weren't fleshed out enough. They yeah. were blog style, yeah. not book style. Yeah. So I had to write a lot more. I had to do some reformatting. They were they they made me take out some of the conversational blog speak, although I tried to leave a lot of that in. Yeah. Because I wanted it to be like a conversation between yeah. me and the reader. Um, I didn't see any difference in the audience between the book and the blog. I don't see, under, I don't understand changing that, but I'm getting off on a tangent. Well, the thing is that, you know, he brought up the thing about degrees and PhDs yeah. and, you know, all these people were jumping in like PhDs don't know anything. And then people are like, you know, when I got my PhD, I learned, you know, how to think and how to write and how to research and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking, you know, that's true. Yeah. But one of those things that they don't, you know, 
one of the things that my concerns is that, A, an anthropology degree, especially a master's degree, the way most people go about it is very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and they don't like, you know, they don't properly outline your job prospects. I think that's like the thing that they skip over because, you know, when you get an English degree, you know what you're getting. You know that it's not going to be applicable to a lot of things and that's going to be very hard to get a job with it. But there's no discussion about the same thing with anthropology. And suddenly people are like, I learned so much from my PhD in archaeology. And it's like, yeah, but now you're like, how many how many figures in debt? Yeah, you learn a lot. Well, if you did a PhD right, you shouldn't be any more in debt. Most PhDs are covered. Yeah. Uh, as long as they're in-house, mm. full-term PhDs. But then you're taking yourself out of the workforce for five to ten years. See? Uh, while you figure that out, right? Yeah. And then once you get through the like school portion of it, um, you probably do have to get a job while you're in dissertation writing yeah. mode, unless you get like a dissertation grant that yeah. allows you to focus on that. But, but the- here's here's what you're saying though. Like as an example, there was an interview. Um, yeah, because uh, she she actually mentioned this the the Life and Ruins podcast, which is another new one from the APN. Oh, those guys are great. If you don't know Life and Ruins, go check it out. Um, oh, wait, is it the three dudes? Yeah, it's the three guys. Oh, I listened to some of their commercials. They're very good. Yeah, entertaining. Yeah, yeah, it's a good show. So, yeah. uh, but they interviewed somebody who actually just got their PhD, and she said. They're like, so what are you doing now? And she's like, well, I'm still working at the job I had when I got my PhD because there's there's like literally no prospects. Yeah. You know, and it's it's like we have this disconnect between doing something that's academically cool, but then also having a job afterwards that you can continue doing that with. And unless you write your own ticket somehow and make up your own thing and become an entrepreneur, which we're also not taught how to do. That's true, too. That becomes hard. But, you know, I feel like, A, these programs can be restructured so that they're more economically, you know, viable, you know, in terms of, like, you know, how much you pay and, you know, how much time you have to spend out of the workforce. Right. And, you know, that you can explain better that, you know, getting your PhD in archaeology is more more the equivalent of getting, like, your PhD in English (laughs) than it is, like, getting your PhD in engineering or your master's degree in engineering or, like, being a doctor. Right. Like, obviously, doctors spend a lot of time in, you know, in school and stuff, but at least you're guaranteed a job. Yeah. You know, and, like, you know, the way archaeology is sold at most of these schools, it's almost like, you know, oh, you're going to get this fabulous (laughs) $50,000, $60,000 a year job, like, right away. And it's just like, you know. Yeah. I still remember, you know, the one of my buddies was talking to um, this person who had just graduated and she was talking about how in five years she expected to be, you know, within five years she expected to be like a project manager or PI somewhere. And then she went around and started asking like the crew, like how long they had been doing this, this job and, you know, how long they had all been field techs for. Right. And they all told her like some people were like five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. And she literally turned white. And I don't know if she ever like went back for another job or if she decided to go back to do something else. But it's just like, you know, like, you know, they just sell. I feel like, you know, the problem isn't the fact that, you know, master's degree students and PhD students don't know anything or any of that stuff. I feel like that's a side. That's like a that's like a tangent. I feel like they're just sold a false bill of goods mm-hmm. in terms of what this degree is for or what yeah. it's good for or and how, you know, how much of a skill stack it is for you. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's, I mean, think it's... about it. I mean, an MBA, like, you know, those are like those, they always say MBAs, get your MBA in X number of months because they know that that's like a good financial investment and that's the way they sell it. <laughs> well, and perhaps we should be starting to, in, instead of saying get your anthropology degree and uh, even like your undergrad, let's just say undergrad, yeah. instead, instead of just getting your undergrad and getting like a minor in geology, which everybody says get a minor in geology, get a minor in GIS if it's offered, get a minor in, yeah. you know, 
linguistics or something like that. Get a minor in economics. Oh, yeah. Because chances are, when you get halfway through that economics degree, you're going to realize that you probably should transfer out of your anthropology <laughs> degree because it's not economically viable. No. But that's um, I don't want to say that because anthropology uh, and archaeology can be a great fulfilling field if you understand its limitations. Yeah. Let's take a, a quick just break for the uh, for the video guys. Um, yeah. you'll, we're not going to break at all, but <laughs> let's take a quick break and come back on the other side and finish up this episode of not only the archaeology show, but you call this archaeology. Back in a second. Yeah. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by thirty percent in twenty twenty three. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S. based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Okay, we're back. Welcome back <laughs> to the Archaeology Show, but also episode 66 of You Call This Archaeology on YouTube and the Archaeology Podcast Network Facebook page. YouTube yeah. is over at... The Happy Archaeology Fun Time. So check those out live and check out all of Richie's fabulous content over there. Yeah, soon um, to be increasing, hopefully. Always increasing. I know. Always increasing. Well, yeah. it's like I said, I wanted to have a, um, I wanted to have <laughs> enough in the hopper so that I wouldn't yeah. be like pressured. Exactly. So let's go back to that conversation. So, yeah, you know, I think I think we're just not it's we're just not taught enough about business. We're not talk, taught enough about, uh, and, and you don't have to learn about business in order to start your own business, right? That's not the end no. goal. The end goal is to not be taken for a ride when you finally do get out. Yeah. You know. So if you understand about contracts and and business operations and things like that not even from a CRM standpoint or from uh, an archaeology business standpoint but just from a business standpoint in general yeah. I don't feel like we have a high enough base knowledge I'm including myself in that I didn't get that education and when <laughs> I started my own business I made tons of mistakes and I had to learn how to do things uh. I had a huge tax error back in 2015 when I did those those oh, two yeah. big projects you were on yeah I had a bookkeeper that didn't understand or I didn't, I'm sure she understood what I was yeah. doing, but I didn't have enough understanding of how the invoicing and paying was worked from the people uh. who were paying us. I didn't have enough knowledge of how that system was working to be able to tell her effectively to do my books. So when yeah. she did my books, there's basically a couple different ways you can oh, so move she, the money so around. She came later. She came, well, she did my taxes that following year for 2015. She did them oh. in 2016. And when she did my taxes, first off, they were late because I was late getting her information. But um, she, the her calculations showed that I owed about twenty five thousand dollars in taxes. Wow! But when you look at it in the right way, because I wasn't able to tell her the right way, and I ended up getting a bookkeeper because I said I'm not paying that, um, and then I fired her, and then. Um, so I was behind on my taxes for a couple of years, but I got extensions from the IRS, so it, was, yeah. it wasn't that big a deal. But I ended up getting it figured out, and that, that tax burden was actually reduced down to $10,000 when it was figured yeah. out. And that's okay if you get a half million dollars of income, yeah. and you pay that out to people. I mean, most of that went out to salaries and per diem. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to pay taxes on that. So, uh, you know... It, it it's a different it's a different way of calculating the numbers. It's not a like a shady way. It's just it wasn't done right to begin with. Yeah. It has to do with the difference between and this again, this is the same kind of thing you would learn in probably economics or something, but it has to do with like if I win a half million dollar project today. Yeah. Today is November first as we're recording this. Mm. But let's say I start working on the project tomorrow. Yeah. It's a difference in Am I invoicing for the entire project right now, yeah. or am I actually getting the money for the whole project right now? If I only get 
$50,000 from that project in the next two months, yeah, then that's what I'm being taxed on if I do it in one way. If yeah. I do it in another way, and some businesses do operate this other way, yeah, they'll want to be taxed on the entire 500000 right now. Oh. And some businesses actually operate that way, and they operate better that way. Typically, bigger ones with a lot more money. Yeah. So it's it's two different ways of looking at it. It's basically yeah. cash or accrual. I think is the right terms, but I'm not even sure that's right. I still don't understand it, but now I have people that understand it for me. <laughs> so, but the point is, well, that's the best part of it. It's like the one thing you should learn about business is not to do everything yourself. That is uh, the best thing you should ever learn. Yeah, it, it, about being a crew chief, about being a business owner. I don't care what you're doing in your life. Yeah, we're all in this together. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh God. <sighs> oh man, there was something anyway. I was going to bring up, but whatever. Yeah. Well, let's. Uh, I've got a couple topics that I wrote down. If you want oh, to switch to one of those, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's switch to this other one because you actually brought it up. Yeah. You want to talk about WeWork? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, because I remember years ago, your um, basic. I remember you were talking like your <laughs> ideal model would be to get rid of the office. You know, like the official office. Like you know, we used to work for a company here in town, and like most of their budget went to that lab. <laughs> the lab yeah. that was empty and the office. But, you know, by getting rid of that, you get rid of a lot of overhead. And, you know, if you had people who work from home, you know, it'd be much simpler. Yeah. And then, you know, this whole WeWork thing came up. And the reason I was thinking about it is because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts on it and reading a lot of New York Times articles. And a lot of people are saying, oh, my God, co-working spaces are a scam and WeWork is a scam and everything's a scam and Uber is a scam, you know, and people should just like, you know, work from home. But it's like that doesn't always work for everyone. No, and I worked from home for five, six years before yeah. I came here to the Reno Collective. And uh, so I, I only came to the collective because, uh, honestly, I was just looking for... Uh, like routine? I, no, not necessarily even routine, although that's part of it. Yeah. Because it's really difficult at home to compartmentalize work and play, yeah. right? You end up just working all the time. And and I work all the time anyway, but I enjoy it. So. Yeah. But I actually compartmentalize now anyway. So even if I were at home, I've I've compart because I have to deal with people throughout the day in business hours. Yeah, I have to make a lot of phone calls, do a lot of demos, talk to a lot of people. Um, I generally, even if I do decide to work from home for a day, I usually between you know up until about five o'clock in the evening when the when the business work day ends. Yeah, I'm doing one type of work, yeah. and then in the evening I'm editing podcasts and doing another type of work. You know the yeah. kind of stuff I can do then. Um, but when I was just working from home and I was doing less of that kind of thing and I was just basically doing all my own thing, I wasn't doing sales or anything, Yeah, uh, it was really difficult because I was just working all the time and doing different things and yeah. and uh, and I wasn't seeing anybody, I wasn't talking to anybody. <laughs> and I, I mean, I would go the entire day without talking to anyone until my wife got home. And, uh, wow. and then I, when I joined the Reno Collective, sure, you're not sitting there talking to people all day long, but you go grab a coffee. And yeah. somebody's there. You have a chat, a conversation. You go back and sit down. Yeah. Um, you're yeah. just you're just doing different things. And and now that we've moved to this new location, um, I've met a whole different a, a lot of different people in different situations, and we've helped each other out. Yeah. I've helped people plan podcast stuff out. They've helped me with different things. Yeah. Some of the APN redesign has been because of a person here. Um, it's and, just been a good relationship. Yeah, and you've learned things, I assume, like about maybe video editing or something. Yeah, absolutely. And um, then you know, I'm not sure if you want to talk about your current, like your current, like you know, roommate up there. I don't know, office mate. <laughs> yeah, I've talked about it on other shows before. Yeah, yeah. Like, so my current um, uh, office mate. Uh, there's two of us in this office, and yeah. uh, we weren't working together when he first got there. But he is. He works for a company called Dunsafe out of Australia. Yeah. And actually, if you're listening to this and you have a company that needs a safety program, you should check them out yeah. um, because it's pretty good. And 
essentially I was doing very similar things with Wild Note as Dunsafe does. It's just two different focuses, right? Yeah, or two different industries. Two different industries, but but very similar ways of recording and looking at things, right? Yeah. Dunsafe does some things that are very specific to the safety side of things, and Wild knows those things that are very specific to the data collection side of things, right? Yeah. Um, Dunsafe is a little less about data collection, a little more about like people management and mm-hmm. uh, incident management, stuff like that. Yeah. But the architecture is basically the same. So him and I started talking, and you know, I had I had some flexible things I could move around some time in my schedule, and I started doing some contracting and subcontracting with them, and basically doing software implementation for Dubsafe, very much like I do with Wildnote, yeah, and and basically helping people get their system set up, and, and what you've been uh, doing for like years, which yeah, which I was just a natural fit for. I just had to learn their system, which wasn't that much different, yeah. Um, so yeah, that kind of situation wouldn't have happened had I been sitting at home. Yeah. And my point that I was making earlier, a long time ago, with not having an office and do that, it's really just being more flexible about it. Flexible about it because yeah. you do sometimes need an office. Sometimes you just need a conference room. Sometimes you yeah. need the things an office can provide. But if each employee is, it's left up to them to decide how they want to do that. Some might actually be able to work really well from home as long as they don't like have to have clients over or something right, right. like that. You don't never bring a client to your house, right? No, <laughs> but you can rent a conference room. Yeah, yeah. So, like they like there's daily rentals here, right? Am yeah, I wrong? you can rent by the day. Yeah. yeah, if you just needed a conference room for the day and you're going to bring ten people in, you can yeah. do that. And then there were those bicycling people over there, like yeah. you know, using it like you know, as like they're like I don't know what they were doing. Oh, they were creating an app for cycling. <laughs> really? Yeah. I wonder if it's one I've downloaded. I uh, I doubt it because it it's actually works with a uh, an electrical system that hooks onto a um, trainer Ooh. for your bike. Yeah. So and it's a very specific kind of trainer, one that like moves your bike up and down and changes everything. It's like a creating a Peloton out of your bicycle. Ah. Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. point is, it's a uh, you know the time of the office I think truly is dead, but the time of the flexible office is just beginning. Yeah. Which means some people might need to go in and, and so they can focus. But like I said, I don't want to drive to somewhere else in the Reno Sparks area if I'm going to work for somebody. This is a mile from my house. Yeah. So it's just about reducing that footprint, and I can come here. And then I think if you've got an office of a sufficient size, like Wildnote. Yeah. Wildnote, there's about ten of us, maybe yeah. at any one point in time that are working on Wildnote, and we're we're always increasing and you know yeah. flexing and doing what we need to do. But every three months we have a quarterly meeting where we meet yeah. physically. Yeah. And we, we we reconnect and we join and we do things. Yeah. And same thing with Dunsafe. Dunsafe has I think something like six North American employees. Three are in Canada and three are down here in the states. Yeah. And we're talking about having a quarterly meeting where we all get together for like three or four days and we solve some high-level problems because some things are best done when people are together. That's true. You just It's not that they can't be done when you're not together, but they're, they get done more quickly when I can just say, hey, Richie, you know, can you take a look at this versus me sending you a text, you getting to it 10 minutes later, <laughs> then me getting to your response 20 minutes later. Yeah. You know. Or it's just like, the pace is slower. Or going for going like the technical issues of Zoom or whatever. Yeah. And and so if you're going to do this from an office standpoint, especially like an archaeology office standpoint, yeah. one of the critical things to making the face-to-face times more productive is having an agenda. Yeah. Saving those things that can be saved for the time when you're together where the togetherness will yeah. help solve the problem. Yeah. You don't want to get together and work on site forms. You well, want to get together and work on 
big things that you just simply can't do by yourself. And yet, how many offices have you been to? I think all of them. Basically, most of the people there are just writing reports all day or making maps. Stupid. <laughs> you can do that from home. It's totally stupid. <laughs> or you can do that from like the coffee shop that's probably in the like lobby of the office you're working now, in. <laughs> now, here's the thing. There's, what, 10, 12 sections in a BLM report? I can't even remember. Um, in Nevada BLM report. I don't oh. remember how many, however many. Let's just say there's 10. Yeah. One of those sections is called analysis. Yeah. So all other sections, a different person could work on each section if you've got a cloud drive yeah. and everybody's doing that. You bring all that stuff together and then you have your, your biweekly meeting or something like that or monthly meeting where you come down, you sit around a rented conference table or you sit yeah. in a Starbucks and you talk about the analysis section. I feel like one person shouldn't do the analysis section. And yeah. one person often does do it, but and it's always the project manager because that's just how we think in archaeology. But I yeah. think if we all pool our archaeological knowledge together and we come together and we do the analysis, you know, somebody starts by giving a brief presentation about the project for the people that, that yeah. aren't in the room. And they say, hey, this is what we found. We found 35 prehistoric sites, 20 yeah. historic sites. Our preliminary dating shows that, you know, these are from here. These are from here. These are the kinds of things we found. Our yeah. research questions were about transportation and ranching and mining and uh, prehistoric settlement patterns and things like yeah. that. Did we achieve those goals? Did we answer those questions? What do you guys think? Oh. You know, and then write that down. One little tip, because I've got a buddy. Because I've got a buddy who um, works with the BLM, mm-hmm. and they actually have an online, um, an online, um, you know, an online template or um, outline, yeah, for um, report writing. And he's always shocked at how many people look like they don't even bother to read it. Oh, I know. <laughs> you know, know. And it's like online. He's like, dude, it's online. You just like, you know, you just like fill out the boilerplate. <laughs> And yet so many people don't. I mean, we talked about this last live stream. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And the problem is a lot of companies, they'll they'll download that to start maybe. Yeah. Um, or they'll download the guidelines. We're speaking specifically about Nevada. Yeah. Because each BLM district is different, to yeah. be honest, or BLM state. Yeah. Anyway, you download the guidelines and it tells you what the report structure is supposed to be. But yeah. you're right, they have a template. Yeah. Um, but the problem with the template is... Really, I don't even want the template. I yeah. want the I want the report structure from the guidelines because the template is in Microsoft Word format yeah. and never updated. Oh, really? And then you have to stylize it for... Uh, most companies will stylize it and put their own styles on based on their company colors and systems and logos and stuff like that. Uh, no, it's just how companies work. It's I not know. just archaeology. It's everywhere. I know. So you're going to put your own brand on that. Yeah. As long as you have the sections right, that's all that matters. Yeah. You know, so... But most companies have their own templates, but here's the problem. They don't use cloud-based templates or they don't enforce the cloud-based templates because most companies have a server that's that true. you can pull the template down from. But then somebody's like, well... I did these alterations to it, and I like this one better. And then you end up with one chapter looks different, and that's where the technical departments for companies came from. They have yeah. whole entire technical. The company you and I worked for together last, yeah, had a technical writing department that every report had to go through. So they had people paid basically to fix the stuff that you screwed up from Microsoft Word. And yet, how many reports didn't go through that technical department, especially from well, our office? I know. They were supposed to. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Because oh. the, the backlog was too high. Oh, by the way, let me know when we're getting to the end of the show. We're getting actually... to the end of the show. Oh, all right. Hang on. Yeah. Should oh, I switch I'm, over? I'm, I'm going to switch over, too. So for the uh, audio crowd. Because I was listening to something, and I think you know I really want to talk about it. Yeah, for the audio crowd, we actually have a slide up that um, yeah. makes us smaller, but gives our contact info. So. If you want to see a different perspective on this um, from the audio perspective, then, again, join us on Facebook or YouTube. So go ahead. Oh, well, I was listening to um, one of my favorite podcasts, the Jordan Harbinger show, specifically his Feedback Friday. Yeah. And 
about 20 minutes into today's show, and today is November 1st, 2019. So and you've you're already looking, listened to it? Yeah. Man, you're one of those listeners. Nice. Yeah. Well, you know, whatever. I mean, I've got, <laughs> I like have a lot of time. Yeah, well, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know. You know, I'm like in the forest and I've got like, you know, what am I going to do? I hear you. But hear more you. importantly, about 20 minutes into the show, someone writes in and, oh God, what is it? They do natural resources consulting. Mm-hmm. which is very similar, and they were talking about how they couldn't, like they do a very bad job of explaining what they do and why it's relevant to people and why they should care about environmental resources. And about 20 minutes, and so he gives advice on how you can talk to people about it, and wow. it's very handy. I got to, actually, I was thinking I was going to listen to it again, mm-hmm. you know, because it's like, how many of us like can't really explain to people, like, you know, you get that person who's like, oh, it's you, you know. Like why are you know why can't they just yeah. why can't they just bulldoze this why can't they just build this parking lot here blah blah yeah like why do we have these environmental regulations I think that's one thing that's helped me being here at the Reno Collective because literally nobody else here is an archaeologist yeah. and anytime I speak I talk to somebody new and we have a pretty good we have a, a kind of a core group of people who maintain an office here so yeah. I see them all the time yeah but then there's people that come in they're in a different situation they're here for a few months and they leave and we get another group of people in right yeah. So I'm constantly seeing new people, and when they hear, "Oh, you're the archaeologist. What do you do? What do you dig up? What's the last thing you dug up? Who do you, you know? Yeah. What university do you work for?" I'll tell you what. I've got my CRM elevator pitch down pretty well. Oh, what is it? Uh, well, I'm not going to give it to you right now, but you know, it's basically, you know, telling them about you know federal and state contract law regulations and how most archaeologists are not academic archaeologists, and we We're do not? stuff in advance of federal and state permitting. <laughs> That they generally get. Yeah. You know, that's the key words to say, I think, is federal and state permitting. Because we a lot of archaeologists, when they start talking about what they do, they'll, they'll get into the weeds and say, well, you know, like that solar farm or like that highway? Yeah. We go in and do a survey before that. Nobody knows what a survey is. They think GPS equipment, you know, yeah. stuff like that. Um, oh, because mine's start, a lot more condensed than that. Yeah. Well, what's yours? Um, I tell them that basically I'm like the lawyer for the, you know, for the contractors, like the tree cutters or whatever. And that I'm making sure that they don't harm any archaeological resources and that they're, you know, they're covered as far as like, you know, permits mm-hmm. and laws go. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially right. Oh, yeah. be careful calling yourself a lawyer. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. my. Oh, my God. It's like he says in that show, he's not your lawyer. <laughs> that's, well, that's right. That's right. It's also was also a really good episode. Like, you know, if you're going to listen to it eventually, because I know you're way behind. Mm hmm. But today's yeah. episode, if you're like, if you don't remember anything else about today's episode besides that, like the very first yeah. question, it's about a couple of parents who um who took out a student loan in their on you know using their son's name and info and bought a boat, and oh they never God. bothered paying it back, and now they're trying to bully him, bully him into not suing or not filing a police report. Wow. Yeah, and Jordan was like very incensed and giving him advice about what he should do. And it was like, yeah, it's like, wow. The the Jordan Harbinger show is a great show. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, my God, why would you buy? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you bought a boat, but, you know, you didn't like to, you didn't like commit like fraud. <laughs> no, I didn't put it in somebody else's name either. <laughs> so, although if I had a child, I'd probably put it in their name because forget it. What the hell? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Well, that's about all the time we have for the audio recording. Um, yeah. I want to get this out. So if you're still, if you're interested, if you're listening to the audio yeah. and you're interested in the video, Facebook.com forward slash ArcPodNet. Like the page. You'll get notified. Or YouTube at, at Hypey Archaeology Fun Time. Right. And you've got a website, too. Yeah. Same um, same name. Just like all one word. Dot com. Yes. Nice. 
And if you're listening to the uh, video version of this and you want to check out the audio, arcpodnet.com forward slash archaeology forward slash 75. And you can find any of our episodes by just changing that number. Also, uh, we're hosting on Megaphone now, and I don't know why I didn't do this before, but if you go to the Archaeology Podcast Network homepage at arcpodnet.com or archaeologypodcastnetwork.com, I put the all shows feed player right up there on on the main page. Yeah. Oh. So now it updates with the most current episodes. The most current episode should be the latest episode of Historical Yarns. Wait, really? And you'll see it right there, and you can play it right there, too. Mm. So you can scroll through like the last hundred or so episodes and uh, play any of them you want, and they come out. It's the order as they come out in the All Shows feed. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You made it into a hashtag. Now it's like, you know, when it comes up on um, Google. Ah, uh, yeah. Actually, I think you did that. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. So anyway- that's all I've got. Um, that's all we've got for this episode. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Yeah. And uh, I suppose we'll see you next time. Oh, wow. That's actually really cool, by the way. Just look at the <laughs> megaphone thing. Anyway, hang on. Let me um, let me stop the thing. All right. That's a, that's hey, a good ending there, Richie. Good I know. ending. Yeah. Well, I was bus- busy being amazed. All right. Busy <laughs> being amazed. I love it. Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can provide feedback using the contact button on the right side of the website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeology. Or you can email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Please like and share the show wherever you saw it so more people can have a chance to listen and learn. Send us show suggestions and follow ArcPodNet on Twitter and Instagram. This show was produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network. Opinions are solely those of the hosts and guests of the show. However, the APN stands by their hosts. Special thanks to the band Sea Hero for letting us use their song, I Wish You'd Look. Check out their albums on Bandcamp at seahero.bandcamp.com. Check out our next episode in two weeks. And in the meantime, keep learning, keep discovering new things, and keep listening to the Archaeology Podcast. Network. Have an awesome day. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.